0: I am your host, Rob Lee, and today I am privileged to be in conversation with an independent filmmaker who is a writer, producer, director of film, television, and digital content, who has written and produced for the likes of Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, Lionsgate, Disney, Funny or Die, and many others. Please welcome Brian Levin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on and um, and making the time. Um, so I, as I as I go into this sort of um, introduction, I, I do the thing. I, I want to get the story. I want to get that sort of introduction thing. And some people are like, I can do this for the whole podcast. And some people are like, can we get past this question? Can we pass? Can we go to the next thing? So yeah. if you will, could you share your story and tell us what inspired you to go into sort of the, the world of digital um, film and digital media?
1: Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll try and summarize it because it's been a long journey. (laughs) Uh, You know, I started off, I'm from Carroll County out in Westminster, uh, about an hour outside of Baltimore. And, um, you know, I started off really in the beginning. I was just a fan of TV and comedy and all sorts of stuff. Uh, But I hadn't really thought about it as a career. Uh, You know, no one really uh, did it out there. Uh, Anyone I knew really was in film and television. So um, as things progressed, I went to college and uh, just decided at some point I started to gravitate towards like production and shooting stuff for like Towson's television station, uh, university and things like that. And eventually um, I ended up going up to New York after school and launched um, one of the early like digital television shows, I guess is the easiest way to say it. And um, we released like two videos a week. This was like YouTube was just starting. No one was even on, no one even knew what YouTube was. Right. Um, I was like driving down to New Jersey, meeting with a guy who taught, was teaching me how to code. I was eating at like taxi stand, you know, places at like three in the morning trying to release two videos a week, I, you know, all while we were also creating these comedy videos. Um, so it was kind of crazy, but you know, they caught on, um, Laura Michaels company, Broadway videos, scouted us to bring us into like an overall deal with adult swim who had a new digital network called super deluxe. And that really was what plugged me into the industry. And then, um, from there we were kind of, uh, connected to people who were a part of the marketplace and ended up signing with an agency and me and the other two writers moved out to Los Angeles. And then that opened up, you know, really me becoming involved in the film and television space in the traditional sense, in the legacy sense. And then, as of recently, um, you know, during the pandemic, I saw how how many views these YouTube videos, particularly for kids programming, were getting, and things like that. And they were building these essentially media companies off of these brands, these kids brands, a lot other brands too, like Mr. Beast and stuff. But and so then I kind of dipped back into the um, digital space and, and launched this, uh, kids network called groovy monsters, uh, which we just started releasing videos and there's a bigger, you know, kind of plan behind that. Mm. Uh, but that's kind of, the the long and short of it. And I think, you know, sometimes I would create content that media companies would buy for me. Other times they would need someone to come in to help produce something, or they had an idea or they needed a writers. And so it kind of worked both ways. Um, you know, just in terms of, me being kind of a hired uh kind of person or consultant or producer and other times I would just sell directly that's the genesis and maybe the whole story
0: <laughs> <laughs> no I I appreciate you you telling us about that and I think it's a, a good spot for us to go into this next question almost a natural segue so, yeah. so so tell us about groovy monsters where where did the, the sort of idea come from and mm-hmm. you know tell us about your production come it's all types of stuff that's baked in there so you yeah. know tell us about ultimately the mission between the work that you're doing, ultimately what you want to do and what you are doing. And tell us about Ruby Monsters.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I had worked with, I mean, I had worked with um, Nickelodeon and Disney on, on projects. I worked in with some big kind of kids movies that they would bring me in to kind of punch up some stuff and make it funnier or whatever. So, you know, I, I had been in the kids space almost like accidentally. I just kind of found myself involved in that space a little bit. Um, but then kind of during the pandemic, you know, a lot of the film and television stuff kind of shut down for a while. And even if it, even if it got going in a formal sense, you know, there was just so much uncertainty that it was really kind of hard to put together projects and deals, unless you're really an established kind of A-list type of filmmaker already. Um, so I noticed that like a lot of the deals and stuff that I was doing were dragging on or falling apart and things like that. And at the same time, um I saw that my kids who are five my kid who's five years old, was watching a lot of YouTube uh, was more interested in watching like YouTube shorts than television shows really and um, you know she had her favorite things and and these were content creators who created a high quantity of content. Um, they weren't necessarily bringing the high level production value all the time that no. Hollywood level kind of creators do but it, it really didn't seem to matter that much. I mean, they had global audiences that, you know, their reach was bigger than cable channels at times, bigger than network channels, um, you know, and they were building multi-million-dollar businesses online yeah. through their digital IP. I mean, you know, there's things like Blippy and Cocomelon, which are some of the big ones that you might've heard of. If, definitely. If you have kids, you know them, but you know, Mr. Beast and things like that. Um, so I, I, I kind of just thought, well, if I could find a way into that space, that would be cool to bring like high production value, but at a low cost. And then I ran into a guy who was a horror filmmaker. He had had some horror films come out and I was like, look, I don't know if you like, like kids space at all, but um, I think there's a real opportunity there. And he was like, actually I've written three kids books and I love it. And it's actually my favorite genre. So (laughs) then he just started making puppets and I was like, all right, I guess if it's making puppets, I can make a network. (laughs) so so that's what it was and then you know i was grinding for a while to raise some money still am um you know because it's there's a kind of the grassroots element of it but then at some point you know if you want to make it a little bit more smoother and aggressive grow more aggressively uh you do you do need capital at some point um so that's that's what's all coming together right now and and it's, it's looking like we're teeing up some good
0: stuff for the next year That's that's great. And, you know, I've been following you on the LinkedIn and kind of checking out stuff. I was like, is this guy (laughs) making puppets? Like, what are we doing here? Trying to have an understanding. So.
1: Well, it's a broader thing because it is like it's content, but the content really is not is probably in the end just going to be a small part of the overall business, which would hopefully be, you know, toys, puppets, podcasts, music, you know, almost like a mini Nickelodeon is the easiest way I think about it. Love that.
0: I love that. Yeah. So ex- describe the experience in like in, in, in working with some of these major names we've, you know, I went through um, creating content for like the likes of the Disney's, the Time Warner's, Lionsgate, Comedy right. Central, Funny or Die, like in many other companies, describe that experience. And if you will, what was your like first project that you were brought in, brought in on? Like break that down for us. So
1: you're kind of saying, what is it like when you really kind of get into business with the, these large global yeah. corporations? Absolutely. Well, I mean, no one's really going to tell you the truth about that. (laughs) You know, I know you're the truth in art, right? Isn't that the name of this podcast? (laughs) The
0: truth in art, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You're not going to get much truth, but um, I can kind of dance around it. I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll I'll do the best I can. You know, you got to have everyone's got to get you got to get in the ring if you really want to know what it's like to get hit. So, you know, but basically, you know, you get into a situation where. As an artist, you're driving 100% hard to to create your vision. Because what motivates you as an artist is something different, right? It's really kind of a a personal, spiritual, psychological, whatever. And, you know, you have your passion and that's what you do. So what you do is, as you start to hit the corporate environment, um, and this is not a negative thing, but there are so many other concerns going on uh, beyond the obvious of economic and financial um, there's other things emotional psychological uh, self- interest job security uh, what is the what is the upside if someone does this versus the downside as an employee or as an employer there's all sorts of things when you hit the marketplace that um, you know are very different than what motivates an artist to express themselves yeah so you start to hit those things um, and it's not just the entertainment industry it's any industry it's it's once you start dealing with money and, and 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 power and and risk uh you know people's behaviors change it's just that simple and um you know so it's up to you if you care to take it on to try and observe and analyze what is what are the causes and effects kind of what's the science of human behavior in this particular environment of a marketplace. I know that's a little bit of a heavier thought, but that's kind of what's what's happening.
0: No, I, I I can see that. And and that's that's one of the things where, you know, being in this podcast space and being in it as long as I've been in it. And, you know, people always ask me the questions, not about like, hey, what kind of stuff are you into? The first question I'm always asked, what are your analytics? How are you monetizing it? And right. I I I'm not doing it for that purpose. And because I think I've already done that. I'm a data analyst by day. So I definitely know analytics and right. the whole monetization thing. It's like, I'm in this space and I know that that's kind of a losing battle. And it's a lot of, you know, you, you talked about, you know, a second ago of, you know, you, you're not going to know how it feels to be punched to you in the ring. It's literally that, you know, you, you can see right. that some of these really major names, they're, they're kind of driving with that market, with the impression of that market is, hey, you know, do the Joe Rogan thing. You're not going to get that deal. That's not a deal that's going to happen, you know, for your average person. And in addition, he already had a baked in audience for for better or worse. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. have a guy that's been on TV and (laughs) a major thing for like what better part of 20, 25 years that, you know, you know, you just go into it. So it's sort of this losing battle that Joe Independent Podcaster is suddenly going to make a lot of money. And if you do have something that people want and they do want to pay you for it, how do you play that game? How do you play the game without losing what your voice is and why you're doing it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's always been, you know, that's always been uh, an issue for any artist is what do you do when kind of the commercial realities of what you're doing become part of the conversation? And everybody kind of makes their own
0: choice <laughs> yeah and um i always look at for me is the the main driving thing is how much creative control am i giving up to really realize my vision and i yeah. look at that that capital and those opportunities to be able to stretch it you know to hey i want to do this sort of programming or i want to hire an assistant i want to do x y and z that's going to kind of help me bring this to the next level and free myself up but if it's just like You know, that's where that conversation of like you're selling out or what have you is like, what does Mm -hmm. that look like? And we all do it to some degree.
1: And there's an interesting, this is a kind of a parallel thought, but there's an interesting line that Scorsese talked about when he said about like scripts. And he kind of said in a script, in a movie script, at some point, there's kind of like an, an underlying essence to it. And at some point, if you have like kind of too many people in the room or if everybody's messing with it, at some point you kind of start to, to to screw that up. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you might as well kind of not even make the movie. Yeah. So, in a sense, that's kind of the artist's battle is, you know, there is this esoteric kind of spiritual center to whatever it is you're doing. And maybe the word that fuses it is integrity for the artist, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the simple word, but it is, I think, a little bit more abstract and intuitive. Um, but ultimately, you know, if you really are an artist and if you're doing it for those reasons. You know, you're going to want to kind of hold the line with that spiritual center. Uh, and if you don't, then you have to accept that something is being
0: lost. I agree. I agree. So I got a few more questions that are the real questions. And I got those rapid fire questions for you as I always like to throw out there. It's a way to get to know the person. Um, yep. <laughs> so. So I read that you were in L.A. for more than a decade working in film and media. And then you came back to Baltimore a few years ago to this to this region a few years ago. Um, yeah. You know what ultimately brought you back? And um, I got some bullet points related to that, but sure. I just want to start out there.
1: Yeah, I think that um, at some point, you know, when I was in L.A. after a decade or so, I realized that that I had a pretty like deep network of people that I knew. You know, it's not really a small it's not a big town in the end. If you're really doing this stuff professionally, Mm -hmm. um, you get you get to know a lot of people or you're kind of maybe once one or two people removed from everybody. Um, So I felt that like, you know, my wife and I were having a baby and we wanted to be around the family for that experience. And we said, well, and I thought, well, you know, with technology as it is and everything and just my network at that's at this point have to, having grinded for, you know, a decade out there to try and get to know a lot of people and do a lot of work. Let's go to Baltimore and see if we can kind of be around the family and do, do two things at once. And I was going to make a small movie anyways. So I was you know essentially going to step away for like a year anyways, to just make a direct a film, yeah. which is what I did. So we moved back to Baltimore. I directed this, this indie film called union bridge, which I shot out in Carroll County. Um, and then, you know, we had the baby. And then essentially not too long after that, the pandemic hit. So then that was kind of a situation where it was like, okay, now we really do need the family around a lot to help us out because we got two kids now and uh, you know, a plague over the land. So yeah, we probably stay put for a minute.
0: So in terms of like the, the local industry, like I've I've had the opportunity to kind of talk with some folks um i'm described as the podcast guy with the folks in the whole media and film industry um, okay and that's and that's been really cool um from your vantage point what do you think like the local industry like of the local industry like how is that changing like from Mm -hmm. you know being removed and being in la for as long as you have and and coming back how has it changed Mm and what sort of project projects do you want to see coming out of baltimore from that sort of filmmaker and that business lens
1: i think to really get to the heart of that issue of Baltimore and film and a broader issue of art, you have to pull a, a, a more bigger thread, which is capitalism. Mm. So essentially, I mean, he, this is just how it's worked for hundreds of years is, you know, the capital is concentrated in a few different places. And, you know, back in the day, it was London and then London and New York and then London, New York, LA and then London, New York, LA, London, New York, LA San Francisco. Right. So what you start to see is as you step out of that, those those areas in those social networks and geographic networks, the drop off of access to opportunity and capital is is massive, really. And what the interesting thing is, is but the drop off of artists is not or talent. So you have world class artists in Baltimore. You have world class artists in St. Louis or wherever you are. You're going to have people who really are. The best, or up there, and can compete with the best. The difference is, is that they're not regularly circulating uh, in the in the supply and demand of of the industry. Yeah. And so, to me, the and so, in I, and I guess it probably just always feels kind of odd for every generation to kind of come upon that realization of like, why is there so much talent that's not getting opportunities, and why are a lot of people who get opportunities kind of not always, but sometimes not really the best. And the whole thing really comes down to money, which is the money is the demand, the artist is the supply. If you do not connect the supply to the demand, nothing's happening. Right. So it's economics, and it's, it's, a, it's an annoying reality and a threat to pull, but the, the truth is that if Baltimore artists and people from the mid-Atlantic in any area outside of the major industry centers if they want more exposure and more traction i think they really do need to engage more and more with those centers of commerce um because that's how you're going to get the relationships and the pathways into more money and more marketing
0: i like that i like like hearing that cuz you know we and, and and thank you for breaking that down because i think a lot of times we hear this notion of i want to do it here i want to make it happen here and i don't want to leave cuz that feels like selling out and i've been dipping the toe as it were and mm-hmm. you know, going into different regions and doing sort of these interview series in different cities, and that's been something yep. that's been important for me, um, because I think you know the 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 starting point for this podcast, I think that reasoning applies in the multiple cities. People, you know, people have totally. this sort of reputation, and this is not what's really happening, or there are some approved people who can talk about arts and culture or what have you. I'd rather get into the fringes. I'd rather talk to the people who I think are doing interesting work. And yeah. it's not always the, the the people who have the biggest amount of clout. And, you know, being able to stretch into to these different zones, I think it broadens it. And, you know, like right now, um, I'm working on this this series that is, you know, as we're recording this, working on a series that's in Philly. And that's gonna be a thing that continues. It's right up the street, it's it's a lot yeah. of similarities and that's been going well and that's been opening up sort of those opportunities you were describing philly's a little further ahead in this sort of rebrand and sort of this focus on providing uh, access to folks in arts and culture there a little further ahead than we are and i think that sort of rebrand that's happened there and it continues to happen is going to happen down here very similarly and in baltimore Mm -hmm. should be very similar so it's kind of seeing it you know almost in a jules verne sort of way seeing it a little early (laughs)
1: Yeah. And you know, like the thing is, and this is, I think a critical thing, if, if an artist in outside of, let's just say New York and LA, cause that's really what's happening. Sure. So if you're yeah. an artist and you're outside of New York and LA and you say, well, it, you know, it sucks. I'm really good, but it's just tough to get traction and move the ball down the field because there's not a lot of opportunities. Okay. So that certainly was an issue that held up in the past and it's sure. still relevant But I have to say, you you need to use the internet. There is LinkedIn, there is Instagram. You need to be your own agent. If you're, particularly if you're not in New York and LA, there's no reason why you can't send out 5,000 messages on LinkedIn, Instagram, to everybody in New York and LA who might be in your zone. And you know what I mean? And say, here's who I am, here's what I do. And all you need is one of those people to say, oh. That's really cool. Let I me mean, let me let me introduce you to somebody. So you know, it's still an issue, but in a sense, you can circumvent some of the geographical um, uh, limitations. Yeah, and just dis- like as, kind of asymmetric competitive disadvantage yeah. um, by using the internet and by being your own promoter and being very specific about who you're trying to reach. I know artists don't like to do that, so a lot of times. So if you don't, you got to find somebody, you know, your cousin,
0: your friend, whoever, and, and, and have them do it for you if they are more comfortable. I mean, that's in part how this interview is happening. I reached out to you on LinkedIn. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, about, I mean, if, if, I told you people,
1: <laughs> if I told you the people that I got have gotten in front of through social media, yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, some of the biggest people in the industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my approach is always like if I can reach out, get an email and then kind of spark up a conversation and really yeah. reveal what I'm doing. And, you know, I get a lot more yeses than no. And, you know, I yeah. can accept those no's. Um, I get a fair amount of like, oh, I missed that. I didn't see that. But you know, <laughs> right. people people are generally down to do it. And, you know, it, it's like you said, it takes one. You know, when I was working to get sponsors because, you know, it's always a capital thing. Podcasting free. Um, right. You know, it takes that one. And it's like, oh yeah, I want to do ads with you. Great. And then the one person sees it, and then the next business is like, oh, I don't want to do ads as well. I saw this ad from Blase Blah, and yeah. that's how it kind of works. Um, There's also like a psychological
1: thing. Just one thing I want to add to that, please. which is, if you talk, to, okay, so it sucks when people say no or they don't, you know, recognize your genius or whatever, right? <laughs> it, you know, it sucks, right? Because we're all geniuses, so you know, it just sucks that everybody doesn't just, you know, put us on uh, CBS for five hours a night but um <laughs> but um you know if you talk to anybody in sales and so again coming back to economics what is sales sales is when supply and demand connect yeah. and interact that's all it is so when you talk to anybody in sales the first thing they'll tell you is they got to talk to a thousand people before one of those people gives them money or they got to talk to 500 people or they got to you know it's sales is all about selling is all about people saying no all day. And, Mm -hmm. and like, yes is like, you know, the, the, the um, atypical event. So I think that's the other part is if you start to like promote yourself and try and get in front of people, um, you should be surprised when someone says yes, pleasantly surprised, but you should really be expecting everybody, almost everybody to say no. So, you know, I think that's just a, a big part of it too, which artists, you know also because it's not they're not in the business space they don't know the, the realities and yeah. the reality is in business most of the time people don't buy what you're selling
0: yeah yeah 100% so. so i got i got one last real question and it's about um it's about like productions it's about uh mm-hmm. so- from your standpoint, you know what has served you most as being a person, as a filmmaker, as a producer, that's in that sort of industry. In terms of collaboration, in terms of making out that finished project, in terms of you may run into a production problem, you know, post-production problem. Tell me about those those traits that have been most important for you to be successful in your lane.
1: Like in terms of pure production, like we've got the idea now, we need to create it, and now here's the movie. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, really what it is is, I mean, again, you can kind of just step back into this more economic mindset, which is you're manufacturing something, right? You have this idea. It's like a car. And now you have to make this idea physical. So when you get into that, obviously there's a lot of logistics (laughs) that have to go right. Um, And usually like everything, or, you know, there's always something going sideways. So I think with production, I think there's maybe a few things and I haven't, I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here, but number one, you have to stay cool. If you're the person doing it and you're the one in charge of putting it together, um, you cannot let your emotions derail you from your mission, Mm. you know, and, and and they're going to get tested. Um, And they're going to get tested by events, by time, by money, by weather, by stress, by incompetence. And they're, Uh, usually incompetence and but also like they're just going to get tested by personalities they're going to get tested by that toxic person who shows up and poisons five other people and now all of a sudden you got to deal with like a half dozen people who in their mind everything that's going on they're gonna be in in their own quiet way not constructive so it's and that's why you know a lot of CEOs and say like, they say a lot sometimes that the toughest part is just managing people because mm-hmm. people are pretty wild, you know, Pre- people, are, people are pretty, uh, uh, at times, um, you don't know what's under the surface and you don't know, you particularly don't know what's under the surface when the stress gets high. So your job is really to just, I think in a, in the fundamental way, you have to just be the coolest person on set or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so that's one big thing. And then another thing is, you know, you, you're, obviously, you're probably gonna get close to running out of money. <laughs> or, you know, especially you know if you're not backed by Disney or something or you can't call up Netflix to wire you a few million, <laughs> you're probably gonna have to, you're probably gonna be at some point in a situation it gets a little dicey. Yeah. So I think just make sure that you try and be airtight with the budgets before you go in in the preparation. And even if you're airtight, give yourself breathing room because you're gonna be wrong. And so, you know, you, you just, you don't want to have to deal with logistics on top of having to chase down a cousin for $10,000 so that you can actually function, right? Or something yeah. like that, right? You know, you don't want to, you don't, you don't have to be knocking on your family's doors in the middle of a production. So, uh, which, you know, may or may not have happened to me once or twice. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that you have to, in so th- those are like a couple of things I think is like a temperament thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. a being kind of risk reduction with financing and time as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, then all a lot of the other stuff are, is details. You know, if you've got the, if you can set up the time and money and keep your composure, you can probably get most things
0: done. I, I can almost see it now, just going to Netflix. Like, man, I'm not quite liquid. Can I get a cool like half a mil, please? That would be great.
1: <laughs> oh, dude, I, there was someone. I forget the exact details of the story, but someone was telling me it was a huge company, um, and there was some issue, and someone had an issue with something, so they had to reshoot it. But it was like. They just needed like a million dollars. And in order to avoid a bigger issue, they just like they had a million dollars in like an hour. You know, so I mean, I think it's like once you get to companies that move around eight billion dollars, I think they can help you out
0: yeah i was um doing a i'm doing a i do a movie review series and um i have one that's, that's coming up as we're recording this uh and i was reading about an oral history about um this batman returns and it's this one scene that's a kind of a throwaway scene towards the end of the movie where the bat signal was in the sky and you see Catwoman looking at it that scene cost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to shoot and it's kind of a throwaway yeah. and it's like yeah. yeah we need to go in and put that in there like we literally put it in two weeks before the movie came out I was like, "Hold yep. up, hold up, guys!" Yeah. And in 1992 dollars, that's that's actually a substantial piece of chunk, piece of money. Man, um, yeah, it's probably close to a million dollars. Yep. <laughs> All right, so um, here's the rapid fire questions. Um, they're real quick questions. Brevity is key here, as you as you know. Uh, so okay. Um, what is your favorite movie that is set in Baltimore? Oh man! So I trimmed it down considerably for you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. Well, the funny thing is, I probably have like a favorite movie in, in Baltimore. I mean, gosh, that's tough. Of course, I have to go right to like the two of the big dogs, which is Waters and Levinson. You know, and they're also like kind of. It's kind of like you know, I kind of I don't know. It's tough because part of it is diner. You know, it's hard to it's hard to shake that. It's just a weirdly perfect <laughs> movie. Um, but then again, like. So, some of john's stuff is just so perfectly punk yeah it's just you know john's his own universe so maybe i would say polyester is my favorite movie shot in baltimore that's one of john's It's a great one okay
0: um what is an objectively terrible movie that you love like you notice, it's a bad movie, and there, and it's not taking any shots. It's like, look, you love the movie, but you know, right. like there are some issues here.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, man, that's a good question. I saw what was it? Um, I saw. I remember going to the theater and seeing like Sahara or something with Matthew oh, McConaughey. Man, yeah, yeah, and with my cousin. And um, so my one cousin always sees like just super popcorn movies, and uh, you know. He's he's the one who will, whatever it is, he'll take me to like, you know, whatever that movie is. Yeah. And uh, and I remember going in and I, I just I was like, hey, you know what? I kinda like Sahara. I, I'm I'm here for the ride. I'm here for McConaughey. I'm always here for McConaughey. Um, you know, he is he he's a he's a great dude. I love I love it. <laughs> Maybe it's just because Matthew McConaughey is in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's so charming. He can sell anything. I love it.
0: Uh, so i got two more for you um what is something that without fail is going to make you laugh
1: ren and stimpy
0: okay it's nice nice it gr-
1: that's that show. whenever ren does pretty much anything i laugh
0: <laughs> this is the last one i got for you um what is your favorite word in another language other than your primary language Ooh, that's tough i'm, I'm not kind of smart enough to understand other languages i
1: learned that at some point um (laughs) yeah i i I realized my limitations in math and foreign language kind of boxed me into being a filmmaker so um (laughs)
0: let me think Uh, where are those subtitles
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so a word from another language that i like
0: yeah
1: um huh um
0: i always go for the dirty words by the way (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like my knowledge is actually pretty limited now that i think about it I'm, I'm pretty provincial um let me think um lechuga for lettuce that's a good one that's the only thing i can remember from spanish class from like eight years of spanish is lettuce Le- lechuga
0: lechuga yeah. yeah
1: i was a pretty bad spanish
0: student I, I was decent, and uh, and then uh, when I worked for a, a Spanish speaking call center, uh, I got to use all of the uh, inappropriate words. So yeah, good times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's
0: great. So, so with that, um, I want to thank you for for coming onto the podcast and, and and chopping it up with me You're off the hot seat. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where they can check you out. All things Brian, all things uh, uh, Groovy mm-hmm. Monsters. Uh, the floor is is yours.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, GroovyMonsters.com kind of has a central location for what we're doing. Um, it's on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, it's on everything really. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn also. And I would also like just put out there that like, definitely reach out to me if you're an artist in, from the area and you just trying to kind of figure out how to navigate, uh, the marketplace a little bit. Um, I mean, I've, talk to a lot of artists from the area to help them just figure out, you know, how to move the ball down the field. Um, you know, because again, this is kind of my central point, which is like, I mean, I, one thing I do know is talent and, um, Baltimore has a ton of talent, really, actually some of the best artists I've I've seen really uh, are kind of coming out of that region. Um, so really it's just a matter of, you know, How do you, how do you navigate? And um, I'm happy to chat about that if anyone needs help.
0: And there you have it, folks. I'm Rob Lee, and again for Brian Levin, saying that there's art, culture, filmmakers, in and around your neck of the woods, you just gotta look for them.